one. That was fantastic. That was, let's all put a hand for Desire for that. I <laughs> know you did that with the mask. How many of you reckon that sounded like Desire? But anyways, cool things happening. Cool things happening. I love that hope and imagination. I was like, where's hope and imagination going next? You know, just watching it like a train. But here we are. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying about this topic called hope and imagination. And uh, I think the word hope is used everywhere. You don't need to be a Christian to know the word hope. I hope I get better. I hope I get the job. I hope that happens. It's a constant thing. But on New Year's Eve at our service, we define something that if, as you look at the Bible, you will, use, you will see that the word hope and imagination are literally used interchangeably. And so scriptures that we read as hope actually is in the original translation used as positive imagination. And so I was tempted uh, to declare the word of the year as just hope, hope 2021 sort of a thing. But I really, I chucked in imagination just because I feel like hope is an abstract concept, but imagination is the, is the action that adds to it. So hope is a, is a concept that's there that we know in theory, but the application of hope is positive imagination. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying that as a church. We've been studying about, uh, I think last week we had a message called Hope Has a Song. And what that meant was one of the greatest ways to access hope is through the act of worship. When you don't feel hopeful, when you don't feel like you have any hope, when you position yourself at a place of worship, what begins to happen is hope begins to rise up. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to read a passage of scripture, story from the Bible, uh, from the life of Jesus. And then I'm going to spend some time defining a few concepts and ideas and try and attach it to the story. Luke chapter 7, this is what it says, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he had entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the, of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not desire, deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does that. When Jesus heard this he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said I tell you I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Father we thank you for your word I pray God. That, that as we get into this scripture, as we get into this teaching, that you speak to your church, you'd speak to us in a powerful way in Jesus' name. As I shared earlier over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking and tackling this topic called hope in imagination. And, and, and I think hope in many ways is an abstract idea, but it also can be sort of put as a feeling, hope as a feeling. But what we got to understand is hope also requires our thinking and our imagination. 
Hope requires us to be in the space of our thinking. We need to be able to employ hope to do some work for us. Hope requires our thinking and our imagination. Now this week, for those of you who don't know, Lee and I, we found ourselves in the beautiful countryside of Mulaney. There was somebody, there was a few of others in the room, maybe two or three people in the room that were with me in Mulaney. Now we had a wedding that just happened, Justin. And uh, they've sort of fallen off the planet, which is great, which is good, uh, and having a good time for what I understand. Uh, and so we had this wedding that was like really a downpour wedding. For those of you who know, Justin's a part of our church family, incredible part. Sky has served over the years as a PA to Lee and I, and uh, we were just so we were just so happy to be there with so many of you and 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 one of the one of the days for the first time we don't usually do this but because of just where we are at we actually went a day earlier and so the day of the wedding uh, we rocked up to this cafe and you know next thing you know the whole of Mulaney has been taken by people from downpour you know it's like I thought there was one place I could go and misbehave a bit and then it's like oh all these church people so I've got to behave now so 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 we have this breakfast in the cafe and then on our way to the car we see this art gallery you know we see this art gallery now I'm not really interested in art galleries and stuff like that but Leah is like oh Alan and you know you got to do the whole romantic thing yes of course I knew it. That's why, that's why I parked the car here, darling. I knew. She's like, oh, Alvin, you're so thoughtful. Leah's pregnant too. Tears are coming down her face. Okay, so let's go in. So we go in. We go in and we start looking at these pictures and they're manipulating the lights. And, you know, when they put this light, you know, showers and this sort of stuff and thunderstorms and tigers coming out of the picture and all that sort of stuff. But what stood out to me was they were talking about how, how the pictures are great, but the pictures need the right frame. And they showed us different crimes. And this frame brings the best characters of the picture. So the picture, they, they would have spent a lot of energy getting that picture together, putting all those resources into the picture. But what carries the picture is as essential as the picture in itself. In other words, the full characteristics of the picture would not be demonstrated unless it's in the right frame. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is Hope Has a Frame. Hope has a frame. And so that began, a, something began to move inside of me. I began to think about it. And, and then I began to realize that, I don't know if you know this, but, but, but there's a scripture in the Bible with the word frame in it. And, and, and in Hebrews 11 verse 3, it says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But what you may not realize is that word their frame in the original translation actually says the world was imagined. The world was hoped. God hoped for a planet before the planet came into being. God hoped for a galaxy before a galaxy was birthed. God, we understand the world was framed. The world was imagined. The world was spoken to. The world was hoped for by the words of God. Then what stood out to me is so the things which are seen, which are now seen, were made by things which were not, which, 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 are not, which are not visible. In other words, the things that are seen were made by things that were not seen. So now we understand from this text that we can find the word formed, but we also understand that the, the, the word frame, and we can also understand that the word imagine is there, and so we also know that there's the word hope. So hope is anything you hope for is not created by what is seen. Anything you hope for by, is created by what is 
unseen. It does not say that it was made by things that weren't there. It just says it was made by things that were invisible. Just because it's invisible, it does not mean it's not there. See, so many times people are able to hope for what they can see. Oh, I can see that happen in their life and so I can believe that in mine. I can see that's a result of me turning up to that. See, we, we sort of paralyze this thing called hope by the realm of what is seen. But maybe hope reve- reveals itself greatest in the spaces that are unseen. Maybe hope lives in the place that is invisible. Just because it is not seen, it does not mean it's not real. Just because it's not seen, it does not mean it does not exist. And I want to speak into your situation because there are things you're hoping for. But the things you're hoping for are so obscure. It's so bizarre. It's so unbelievable. It's so like, it cannot happen because I cannot seem to see it. But maybe you're not supposed to see it. And that's when hope kicks in. Because hope is not built by what is seen. Hope is built by what is unseen. So many of us struggle to see hope because we cannot see anything positive. Hope equals positive imagination. But if there's nothing positive happening in my life, if there's nothing positive happening in my finances, if there's nothing positive happening in my health, if there's nothing positive happening around me, how can I hope? And we know hope in theory, oh God, I hope. But there is such a distance between the hope that we have and the hope that we live in. But maybe hope draws nearer when we're able to put on a different set of glasses and see in spaces that cannot be seen. Because hope is not built or constructed by what is seen, but yet by what is unseen. I hope I'm speaking to you into spaces this morning, into things that I cannot even believe it. It is not even possible. See, a lot of times when we read the scripture, we think that the world was made by things that didn't exist. That's not what it says. It says the world was made by things that did exist, but were not yet seen to the human eye. Just because it cannot be seen, it does not mean it does not exist. See, the absence of sight doesn't mean it doesn't exist because faith is not what we see it's what we don't see many a times we're able to hope by what we see but true hope is birthed by what is unseen i mean when i think about this building before before the first concrete was ever poured to construct this building to construct any building someone had to see it Someone had an idea, someone had a concept, and then someone put that on paper. Someone put it on the blueprint, and it's still not there. So there are even levels of seeing it, isn't it? A blueprint is one level of seeing it, and then laying that concrete is the next level of seeing it, and putting the woods up, the panels up is another level of seeing it, and and some people will not see it until it's fully there. Until the air cons on, some people won't see it. And that's their level of faith. But the visionary that constructed this building saw it before the first blueprint was drawn. And that's hope. Hope is the ability to see when there is nothing there. When it was a piece of dirt land. When there was all sorts of things. That's what hope is. It's the ability to see when there is nothing to be seen. See, hope creates that blueprint. Hope creates that picture. Hope creates that sense of idea, that concept that is there that, that, that we sometimes cannot see. And, and that's why some of us struggle to hope because you, you, you begin to wonder, how far can I hope? You know, we've got boundaries to this hope thing. We've got boundaries to our imagination. But I want to share with you the story in Luke chapter 7 that I read right at the beginning. 
And what we find is something that maybe you've heard a lot of preaching about it, but I believe this morning you're going to hear it from a perspective that you've probably never heard it before. And the story is Jesus is going around doing miracles. So he's going around doing all sorts of miracles. The blind eyes are opening, the lame are walking, the lepers are being healed. But what we don't see within the miracle is that every miracle that Jesus did required for him to turn up. And so I have hope to believe that Jesus will heal as long as he turns up. And so as Jesus is on his way, the Bible says that they talk to him about this, this centurion guy, this Roman soldier rather, and says to him, he's got a servant who is unwell. It's interesting to point, uh, I need to point to the fact that, 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 that the centurion was so significant and so influential that he could have replaced that servant at any given moment but yet for whatever reason wanted this particular servant to serve by his side. That talks about influence. That talks about excellence, doesn't it? And he wanted the servant to be healed. And the Bible says that they send word to Jesus saying that this guy needs a miracle. And the Bible says that Jesus is on his way to the house of the centurion. We do not know how long the journey was. Could have been hours. Could have been days. We do not know. But at that given moment... The way you got a miracle was to make in an order at the Jesus counter. And Jesus would turn up in some point. It could be days. It could be weeks. It could be hours. And Jesus would come by the bedside of the person, lay hands or say a command or say something. And then the miracle would happen. And Jesus was well and truly on his way when the Bible says the, centurion's, uh, the centurion captain, the centurion has a thought in his head. It was a thought that had never occurred before until that point. And the thought was, why does Jesus have to turn up? Why does Jesus have to turn up? It was a thought that was never there. It was a thought that nobody had thought of. It was a hope that no one ever entered into. People had a level of hope to believe that Jesus would come to their home, but not the level of hope to believe that Jesus could do a miracle even not being present in the room. It was a different realm of hope. It was a, it was a hope that was invisible, but does not mean it wasn't available. It was a hope that was there. I wonder how, much, how many dormant hopes is lying around us that are yet to be activated by the human mind. And so he gets this bizarre idea. It's sort of like, I'm sure he pulled up Google and said, has Jesus ever done this miracle before? And then he starts to apply it. What I love about this guy was he had something good going enough in his world to apply it. He said, well, it applies in my world. I sent an email the other day and all it needed was my signature. And as long as my signature was on it, it was like I was in the room. If I can do that in my world, if I can do that in my realm, maybe Jesus can do that in his. He wasn't sure if that was in the bylaws. He wasn't sure if that was in the contract. He wasn't sure if that was possible. But yet he said, why not? Why can't I just hope? See, the reason I know this is hope is because he actually takes time to explain it. He says, I send people and they do this. I say yes and it happens, which means he meditated on it, which means he imagined it. And we know today that hope is positive imagination. See, you cannot see hope activated unless you've seen it in, in here. And so something in him, I do not know how long this was because it says that Jesus was already close to the house, might have been a few hours at least. But something in him and that, that, that perplexes me because he already got the news that Jesus was on his way, yet he was hopeful beyond hope. Wow. He meditated on this beyond requirement. Wow. 
There was something in him that said, maybe there's a better way to do it. Could it be that in my life and in your life, that we are living at this level because this is the level that we've ordered for when perhaps there's a better way to live it? And so the messengers go to Jesus. And I know what the disciples are like. The disciples are always guardians of the procedure. Who is this Roman officer telling us what to do? Oh, now he's giving us directions on how to perform miracles. Come on, Jesus, let's show him. Andrew says, let's call it on fire. You know, it's like you've got the whole committee saying, and you know, Peter saying, this has never happened. Jesus doesn't perform that way. Jesus is very pastoral. He likes to shake your hands. He doesn't do drive-through miracles. He doesn't do FedEx miracles. He doesn't do that until Jesus opens his mouth and he says, why not? Friends, when I read this story the other day, that got my attention. Because the only person that knew this was possible was God. But yet he chooses to perform in the way that he was ordered to. Why did Jesus need to wait for the centurion to hope for it? Why couldn't he have said to the messengers that asked for the miracle, let him know that his servants well? He chooses to walk in the plan that he was asked to walk in. Think about this church. Could it be that God has conformed to your level of belief and actually he's anticipating for a greater level of hope? That gets me and I wonder how many times in our life and I look at church history, how many times in church history has church been done a certain way and so we have a certain imagination and a certain hope and a certain expectation of how church needs to be done. And the thing about God, my friend, is God is not impatient. He is extremely patient and that is incredibly frustrating. Because I'd rather God tell me what's available on the menu. If you've ever been to Starbucks, there's something called secret menu. Secret menu is this thing where there are things on the menu that's not on the wall. But if you know the combinations of it, they will get you it. For example, there's a drink in Starbucks called Tuxedo. It's white chocolate mocha plus dark mocha. But you'd never get it unless you know what's in it. And there is a secret, I wonder if there is a secret menu with God I wonder if there are secret spaces with God. I wonder if there are secret things with God that we can only access in the realm of imagination and with hope. For whatever reason, this guy broke the mold of how miracles need to happen. Yes, I know always Jesus turns up. But for the first time, someone had this abstract thought, this crazy concept, this unbelievable idea that said, why does Jesus need to turn up? That, that's bizarre, isn't it? And that's how hope is. See, whenever hope is really working, it seems bizarre. It seems unbelievable. It seems beyond you can even think. It's one of those things where it's like, how can that even be? How can that even be possible? Jesus is on his way to heal this guy. And he puts himself, he limits himself to say, I will do the journey. I will take the days. I will spend the hours, even though I know there is a better way. When this began to speak to me, I began to wonder in my own life, how many times have I limited God by putting him? See, so many times we, we think we are in the box, but I wonder if sometimes we put God in the box because we believe that he will repeat the same thing. And we even sing songs like do it again, but maybe God doesn't want to. 
Can I say that? We, we, and the reason why we say and do it again is because we want the same emotions that the first time it happened. But perhaps God really wants to do a good thing. I think a lot of times God's bold in heaven because we have so little hope. And, and we just believe that that will happen again and this will happen again and this will happen again. But perhaps God is looking for a new day. He's looking for a new generation. He's looking for new people that will ask like the centurion asked. You know, the thing about the centurion was he hadn't read the Bible to know what was possible and what wasn't possible. He hadn't hung around Jesus to know what was legal and what wasn't illegal. But there was something in him that rose up that said, I cannot see it. I cannot see it. I have not seen it before. But is this possible? There was something in his imagination that brought it to pass. There was something in his imagination that brought it forward. In a couple, I was talking to Leah last night on this whole concept of hope and imagination. And for those of you who don't know, one of the things we used to do back in the Middle East, because there was a lot of restriction on ministering to people, and this was before Zoom, this was before Skype, this was before FaceTime, this was back in the day when we were in Emerson Messenger. Come on, somebody. <laughs> And, and, and there was a moment, there was a moment, there was a particular year where I started ministering to a lot of people in different countries over Emerson Messenger. Leaders and people that were rising up, like we had this little bit of a discipleship thing happening. And, and, and the thing was, the internet was not fast enough for, 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 for like us to do a video thing. So we had to do all, everything's typing. So I'd spend days talking about the Holy Spirit. I'd spend days talking about being baptized in the Spirit, praying in tongues and things like that. And, and, and then there was this moment where I would pray for them. And, and the first time Leah heard me do it, she was like, is that even legal? And so what I would do is I would say, you got to have one finger on the keyboard because I need to know where you're going. There's not even on video. And you got to have one finger on your, one, one hand on your, on, your, on your screen. And I would say right now in the name of Jesus, receive. And literally people would start getting baptized in the Holy Spirit over Emerson Messenger. Why? Because I did not know you cannot do that. Why? Because I did not know that wasn't possible. See, hope is the ability to imagine something that has yet not been conceived. But deep down within you, you know that is reality calling out. You know there is something that is crying out for more. Hope is that expectation. Hope is that anticipation. Hope is the ability to see when there is nothing to be seen. When it is dirt land, you're able to see a hotel. That is hope. The ability to see. And, 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 and it's, it's, it sort of really gets me because for whatever reason, the centurion developed a framework. Hope is the frame. He developed a framework for this picture. He developed, a, and the thing, here's what you've got to understand. Luke chapter 7 would have been in the Bible. And this is how it would have been. Jesus was preaching in Capernaum. A bunch of people said, you got to go heal this guy's servant. He's been nice. He's been generous. He built us a synagogue. Jesus goes on his way. He goes to the centurion's house. He shakes the hand of the centurion. Centurion says something noble, like, oh, I'm not worthy. Don't shake my hand, something like that. Jesus touches the servant, gets up. Jesus says, make sure he has a feed. As you know, Jesus says that all the time. And then goes on his way. And we would all be happy with Luke chapter 7. But think about the possibilities that this has unfolded. When such a different miracle begins to happen, I wonder what is the train of line. I wonder what is the 
pathway my life and your life is going? Are we going to just stick with the norms of what has happened? Or are we people willing enough to believe for something that is not yet seen, that is not because every time God's moved, it was somebody that believed that something is possible, even though it seemed impossible. Hope is that imagination. What is it that is in your world? That is positive, that is great, that is noble, that there's something on it that you're like, maybe, maybe, maybe this is God. Maybe this is God doing something. Maybe this is God directing me. It may seem a bit left field. I love how this guy employed his workplace scenario, how he, how he employed the secular and made it the spiritual. I'm a centurion and, and this is what happens at work. I'm not sure if this is what happens in the, in my, this is what happens in the office. I'm not sure if this is what happens in your office, but there was something in him that even asked the question, could hope be Ask, asking the question that seem a bit stupid at times. Could hope be that place? Could that be God triggering our imagination? Because if there was no purpose for it, he would not give us an imagination. But he created us in his image. And the Bible says that he created the world through his imagination. He formed the planets into existence through his imagination. What is it that is in your world, in your space that God wants you to imagine and he's willing to perform, he's willing to move and here's the thing, he will go as fast as you want him to go. If you, need, if you need him to turn up, if you need him to rock up, if you need him to come with his entourage and his disciples, he will do that. Now that's the thing about God. He is so gentle. He is so noble. He's so, you know, warm. He will meet us where we are at. But perhaps our hope will accelerate the plans and purposes of God. Perhaps there's a secret menu somewhere there that if we can ask by faith, if we can push forth by faith, if we can just sort of believe by faith that God could do Incredible things in Jesus' name. As I think about our church, as I think about Brisbane North, you know, there's a way of doing church. We all know it. You've all been there. We all know it. It's all those away. But could it be that maybe God wants to birth some fresh things in the space? I love the reset that's happening. I love the change that's happening. I love what 2020 is presented to us because it's sort of broken us from the limits of how things can be done, how things need to be done. And maybe it's time for us to be asking the questions of God. Where are you leading the church? Where are you leading this ministry? Where are you leading this hope? Where are you leading this home? Where are you leading us, Father? And I think something beautiful can be birthed with that see your frame is so important i'm not sure how the centurion got this frame i'm not sure if it was a home that he grew up in i'm not sure if it was a good parenting that he had when he was a child but for whatever reason he had this frame and i want to ask you this question god's painting a picture but what does the frame look like that's holding it See, if hope has a frame, what is the frame that's going to hold it together? Because you got to understand your frame can limit what God can do or your frame can take off the limit of what, is, of what God is able to do. Your frame can limit what God can do and God is so gentle that he will stick within the limits of our frame. Or your frame can take off the limits of what God can do. That's why I love what it says in Ephesians 3. Now unto him who's able to do. He is able. He's able to draw outside of the lines. He's able to give a drink that's not on the menu. Who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask. Wait a minute. Imagine, hope, 
or think. Now unto him is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask. But he's looking for an ask. He's looking for an imagination. He's looking for somebody that will say, maybe that's what I need today. Maybe that's what, I'm not sure if that's legal. I'm not sure if that's possible. I'm not sure if that's theologically incorrect. Until that point, that was technically theologically incorrect. Because what is theology? Theology is the study of the nature of God to understand His pattern. And until that moment, there was no pattern where Jesus healed somebody long distance. Is that theologically, that, that, that place of saying, is that possible? Now unto Him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask, imagine, or think. If I can get Mark up, that would be fantastic. And I want to speak to you this morning. What is that frame? What is that frame that I carry? What is that frame that you carry? For me, a lot of times, my framework, that's a good word. My framework is built around what has already happened. I'm a big studier of church history and church leadership and all that. But I've come to realize in recent times that that can even come in the way of the frame that God needs me to carry. For you, your framework might have been a constant cycle of divorce in your family. Everybody you know has been divorced and that can sometimes be the framework. Anytime there's an argument, maybe that's the option. For you, the framework might be, well, nobody in, my, in our family owned a home and that's okay as long as we're renting and take care. No, 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 maybe God needs you to get a new framework, a framework that was not in your history, a framework that is not in your genetics. For you, maybe it might have been, no, 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 I have got this business idea, but, but all of our families, We've just had career jobs, nine to fives, the same old, same old. At least it's predictable. At least it's achievable. At least it's, it's smart. At least it's measurable. But maybe there's something in you that says, no, break from the mold. Don't stick to the framework. Get a new frame called hope. A new frame. A new frame. A new frame called hope. And that is scary. Getting a new framework is scary. You know, for those of you who don't know, my story is I'm the first one in my family that stepped out of ministry. Our family is very predictable. Get as many degrees as you can. Study as much as you can. Work as much as you can. Hustle, hustle, do whatever. And then I step out and I say, this is what we're doing. And it was such a bizarre framework. For years, my parents, they avoided the framework. Like it didn't exist. But maybe that's what some of us need to step into. Step into a framework. Step into see the reason why we struggle with getting our own framework is because we get disoriented when we walk into a new one. See, I need to know your framework because your framework gives me context. I need to know your framework because then it tells me I'm moving in the right direction. I need to know that story because then maybe God's happy with me. But could it be that we don't need somebody else's framework? Framework is good to encourage us, framework is good to motivate us, but framework begins to limit us. It's not from God. Get a frame. That is from heaven. A thought, an idea, an imagination, something that is of substance that seems borderline illegal and maybe God's breathing over it. A framework that is so powerful. And maybe that is the situation for you because maybe you do not have a relationship with God. And there is no frame without Jesus. Jesus is the holder of your frame. And maybe you're here this morning and you may not have a relationship with Jesus before we talk about imagining and hoping and dreaming and purpose. Your, your life, my life, we were going in the wrong direction, but Jesus came and held together the frame. And the way he held together the frame was by laying down his life on the cross 
And friend, if you're in this room this morning and if you feel far from God or if you feel like you do not have a relationship or you feel like it's been a long time since you've even spoken to God, maybe today is your day to say yes to Jesus. If I can have every eye closed in the presence of God and you're saying, maybe that's for me, maybe that's for me, maybe that's for me. And I just want to give a moment right now for people to respond, to say, I need Jesus to hold up my frame. I need Jesus to hold us up together. I need Jesus in my life. And coming to Jesus is not a complicated process. It's a simple confession of the heart that says, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And maybe you're like, oh, I've been in church for so long and I think I know Jesus. If you're not sure about that, this is your morning. This is your day. Right now, just, just as I'm about to pray, if you're in this room and you're saying, include me in that prayer because I need Jesus, I want you to just slip up your hands right now. To slip up your hands right now. See that hand. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? You're saying, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Come on. Why don't we say this prayer together? Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and hold this frame together. Teach me to imagine, to put my trust in you. From this day forward, I'm a new creation. Take away my shame. Take away my sin. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. With every eye closed, if you're here right now and you're saying, this message spoke to me. I feel like I've imagined and I feel like I've hoped, but it's not where... There's, there's, the, there's, the, there's the cool dream and there's the scary dream. And something in me, something this morning has triggered the scary dream. Something in me has said, color outside the lines, order from the secret menu. If that is you, I want you to just slip your hands up right now. You're saying, I'm going to hope like never before. I'm going to imagine and believe like never again. Father, I pray for every hand that's gone up. And Lord, I come against every, every negative word that's spoken over these people that have said you cannot. Even our own thoughts, even our own mindsets that have said, you cannot do that. That's not possible. No one in your family is that qualified. You're too lazy. You're too skilled. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too fat. You're too black. You're too white. Lord, I come against those words in the name of Jesus. And I declare, Lord, the same power that raised up Christ from the dead, from the front to the back into this auditorium. And I declare new hope, new dreams, new imagination. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you're about to do a new thing. We give you all the glory we give you all the praise in your mighty matchless name we pray amen come on somebody shout